Five scores! Rick Five. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Gary Madden. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 78 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Doing pretty good, Mike. Got a good workout in this morning and uh, hopefully get a good sleep tonight and uh, a good workout. So I'm, I'm getting into the working out. I gotta. I just want to make sure that when, if, if and when we do start playing Alumni games, I'm ready. So I'm, I'm full, full into it now. Well, thanks to my son. <laughs> well, we'll look after you too. We'll get you. I told you, I'm still going to get you to skate with our uh, beer league team. Get you a tryout. See if you can handle the pace of that uh, six-year-old hockey. So just stay tuned yeah, and keep working I at think- it, my friend. Keep working at it. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, our uh, our guest today was chosen 21st overall of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 2001 draft, would enjoy 10-year pro careers with stops in Atlanta, Toronto, Montreal, before finishing in the Swedish Elite League, or the Swedish Hockey League, as they call it today. I scored a gold medal-winning goal for Canada in the 2007 World Championships. Post-career, he's been involved and still is today with Sportsnet and post-game commentary for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, so he's in a good mood today coming on after them squeaking into the playoffs yesterday. Please welcome Colby Armstrong. First stop, Colby. Thanks for joining us, and how you keeping? Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Mike, Rick. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm keeping good. As crazy as uh, you know, things still kind of are. Uh, I got my four kids still doing sports, so we've got that on for what oh, Canada is. I, yeah, four so kids. We're still in, four kids. And we keep uh, fairly busy, as you could imagine. And um, oh. yeah, and my Steelers, you know, to go back to the Steelers, Rick, I know you're a Steelers fan of the old vintage, the, yep. the, the, the real Steelers from back in the day, which is why everyone loves the Steelers and what their reputation is hung on. But uh, yeah, the city was pretty crazy and on pins and needles last night up until what was it like 1.30 in the morning? Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when, the, when Vegas decided to kick a field goal to win it in overtime, cause like, what were the odds of that? Like, honestly, they're like, they're only oh. can happen if Jacksonville beats this team and sure enough, they spank them. And then, you know, they Steelers go to overtime and these other two teams just can't tie an OT and it goes to OT in the last two seconds. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, but the city's pretty pumped. They got playoffs in a year that they didn't expect to get playoffs. I think. Well, the other part of the story is that all they had to do is a tie. They both got in. So they didn't yep. need to kick the field goal, but they did anyway. So I'm sure they're not too uh, well-received in L.A. <laughs> today. So, Pittsburgh, they're heroes. In L.A., they're hated. Now, Colby, yep. maybe explain to listeners what it is you're doing right now. You're still with Sportsnet, but you're on the digital side more. And with the pants, you're still doing the post-game stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I guess my day-to-day regular job is just covering the Penguins here from Pittsburgh. Um in studio and in the arena for home games. Um, and then just for myself, eh, as far as my work with Sportsnet in Toronto, with Roger Sportsnet is concerned, I've been, you know, moved to more of a digital content, branded content, doing some interviews, meeting players. 
which is kind of cool. It gets me out of the studio and um, gets me back around some of the guys or around some of the things that we're uh, that we do with with social. So it's a new thing for me. Uh, it's pretty cool. I'm having a lot of fun with it so far. I've gotten to go to Las Vegas and a few other things and uh, uh, meet some pretty cool people already and, and do NHL media day and hang out with the boys. So as much as you can right now with COVID and when media day yeah. was on, but um, it was uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been different, but it's been fun. It's something I'm learning and uh, it's, you know, that whole new world of kind of what we're doing right now. Squid. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy, especially in Canada, um, the way things are going. And uh, I mean, I feel bad for the the Canadian teams because U.S. teams are not coming in to play in Canada, so they're sitting there sometimes for two or three weeks without playing, and then all of a sudden, like I think Calgary, they got to go on a five game road trip, and they haven't played in like two and a half weeks. And it's like, yeah, and that might be the second you know, time that they've done this, right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's I, I'll, like, I'll, I'll be uh, honest with you. I have no interest in watching games with no fans. I have, like, zero interest. After we did it already, and then we opened up for playoffs, the American team started getting fans. It's it's just it, – it just it's different, right? It's different if you're just a guy watching the game. Like, I like watching hockey. I, I like – I stay up and I watch the late games. I watch – you know, the 1030 game out in, in San Jose. I don't care. I watch it all. And when there's no, if I have to sit and watch a game with no fans, I'm not doing it. Not right now. I'm done with it. I don't care. I'm not on the desk anymore. I'm doing digital. I'm not wasting it because it just doesn't give me the same feeling as what I want when I want to watch hockey. I want to see like emotion and passion and fandom and cheering. I don't want to have like a like an echoey horn in the building when someone scores, like, give me, I don't know. I just, it, I don't want to see it. I kind of just don't want to see it right now. Warren takes. You know what? I, I feel that I feel the exact same. And it, it, you know what the funniest thing was, was that right before the pandemic hit, my son plays in Cincinnati in the ECHL and they were in Toledo yeah. and it, there was no fans. There was no fans. Yeah. Uh, and I guess in Ohio, I guess they had not let fans in the building. So I'm watching this game and it's like, it was so boring. It was like, it was crazy. And then I, I asked him after the game, he called, I called him and, and, and he said, yeah, it was really, really ridiculous. He goes, it was just like, we could hear the people in the broadcast yeah. booth talking and stuff like that. <laughs> he said, it was the weirdest game of hockey I've ever played in my life. Well, Rick, so. and Rick, you know, you know, too, like, you know, the feeling you get when the, you know, whether you're on the road or at home and the crowd gets into it, you know, the feeling that yeah. you get as an athlete when, you know, momentum shifts and you can feel the building shift. It's like, it's, it's, it's that feeling and, and it's just tough. I got to imagine it's got to be brutal no matter what level of hockey you are. If you're going into a rink to play with, with that vibe or that feeling of, you know, to what you're used to, um, it makes it tough to get up for, I would think. I think it makes it tough to, you know, push yourself into that space where you have to be where you usually are used to getting to. So, yeah, I don't like it. It's obviously it's our time right now and we've got to deal with it. And we're trying to find ways to get past it. But it's tough watching games or seeing games anyways from that perspective and watching it like that. 
Well, you can tell the broadcasters don't like yeah. it because goals go in and they can't tell the goals are in the net because there's no crowd. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the referees too. love it because the referees love it and nobody's calling the penalties for them. So everything's quiet. So they have to run their own. As they should take away some of their salary because they're getting off easy now, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> now let's, let's go <laughs> no back. No one yelling at them. Nobody yelling at them. So let's go back. Speaking of which, you were born in Lloyd Minister, Saskatchewan. I got a good buddy who lives there. But raised yeah. in Sask Saskatoon, the high school attendant had quite the lineage of NHLers pass through it. Your brother, <laughs> Jared Stoll, Sven Brothers, uh, yep. Ruba, if I said his name. Griba. Yeah. Griba. All St. Yep. Joseph's High School. Were you and Stoll there at the same time? Yeah. So Stoll, Stoll's from out just outside of Yorkton, like a little, I think you're like, I don't know if he's a farm boy or if he's from actual Yorkton. His family may have moved in there and he grew up playing in around that area. And then when he got to midget AAA level, he, his family moved to Saskatoon, which is around the high school age group. Um, and yeah, he joined our, our high school, moved into a neighborhood about three blocks from me. So he was actually awesome. Stoll was awesome for me because he was like, you know, those kids that you hear about when they come up, like, yeah. you know, over the years there's been kids and he was the kid in Saskatchewan that like everyone was, you know, his name was, um, and then he ripped up midget AAA too. Like his first year with the Saskatoon Blazers, he he ripped it up. I think he set some records and stuff. But he was like jacked, you know, like in great shape. Like loved like loved <laughs> hockey. I loved hockey. I was a hockey nerd, but I was like so skinny and like nerdy. And he was like a man already. And he would come to my house like every day, pick me up. We go to the gym. He had a car. Like he'd bring me around. Like he was awesome to me as like a uh, like a hockey buddy, someone yeah. you could kind of just kind of dive headfirst into everything with and you know he was set on a path um you know to be play junior and drafted i think he was drafted second overall in the western hockey league draft and you know so i was i was around that i was drafted sixth sixth round so it was like totally different but i had him next to me that kind of was put on this like path but he had like a drive man it was awesome so it was really good for me to be around he's a great friend and I hung out with him almost all the time through high school. And when we were back, he played for the Kootenai Ice. Started with the Edmonton Ice and then Kootenai Ice. Uh, and I was in Red Deer eventually. We ended up playing against each other quite a bit. But when we were back, we hang out all the time and, and all the time in the summers. And, uh, you know, just like kids would do. Well, now, okay, this sets up this next question. In a million years, both you two guys <laughs> come from small parts of Western Canada. First off, you'd both make it in the NHL. And number two, you'd gone to become a national panelist for a major sports network, still working in the game in broadcasting, and he'd marry one of the most famous personalities covering sports, and Aaron Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, crazy, right? I know he lives in L.A. And I you mean, too. He's living, uh, he's living the L.A. lifestyle. <laughs> he's got the the sweet wife and Aaron Andrews that we get to see, uh, you know, working the sidelines. I think she was doing Dancing with the Stars forever before that as well, and. Um, of course, wildly popular. I think she did some of the, like, uh, she worked with like Michael Strahan, maybe on some morning show stuff. She was sampled in on that. So she's, she's, uh, yeah, she's fairly well known. So yeah, him and I are both, he actually does some games for the LA Kings as well. Um, there in LA, uh, doing TV too. So we share a little bit of the post career stuff, uh, in, in that regard as well. But yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how it works out, man. I, I work with Jeff Merrick at Sportsnet, who's a fantastic guy who's helped me a ton and um, really like amazing uh, teammate. Uh, he was my host on several shows for over the years here. 
Uh, and he always used to say uh, something about s- some scout he used to talk to. There's an old saying, I only, I only uh, draft people that something with S's and it's like Sweden and Saskatchewan. That's the only t- <laughs> thing. Cause he says they, they work hard, they're low maintenance. And then he said something about Saskatchewan charm. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. That good Saskatchewan charm. Yeah. It's tough to argue with that. I would have to say. Now, the other thing is, like, well, well I, I, I would put the PEI charm. Up well, Saskatchewan. Would you? <laughs> yeah, well, I would too. I would too, man. Well, you know, well, you got the squid. There's the S. So you're there. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Now the other thing is to clear I mean, up. Your- Speaking of extremely popular, the Spit and Chicklets podcast, a couple of your old buddies yeah. there that run that. Now, you originally were supposed to be a part of that. Were you not at one point? Or was that your name? Was well, it was around early and- on. And yeah, it was early on when I first started doing um, Sportsnet stuff. And and I'd been talking with Wit and Biz, who I'd played with in Wilkes-Barre and in Pittsburgh. And um, we kind of came in together, all drafted by the Penguins. And yeah. um you know, we were kind of wondering what we were going to do. Biz was actually still playing at the time. He was in the American Hockey League and still, I think, winning Calder Cups and uh, living the dream. Uh, and uh, so me and Wit were kind of in talks, and he said he had some hosts, and he's got a platform, and they're going to do it here. And I was, like, so new to it, I had no clue. So, But I was, you know, pretty set on trying to make it and try to do Sportsnet because I thought that, you know, that with the uh, NHL deal when I first retired – they had gotten the rights and it was, you know, a really great opportunity for me. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it just was kind of in talking initially yeah. just amongst friends and and they went ahead and went with it and, uh, they've done a great job. I mean, they're, they're wildly successful. I think they showcase a lot of cool things about the game and, and yeah. And people in the game and they're fun to listen to. And, uh, I still talk to them all the time. They're great guys. And now you see biz doing uh, TNT down in the States. So, um yeah. yeah they're they're doing they're doing unbelievable i mean playing with both those knuckleheads i never would have thought even myself that you know the three of us would be would be involved in this but man uh i tell you what those guys are they're, they're killing it gonna... so uh, I'm, I'm really happy and proud for, proud of them yeah they're knocking it out of the park that's for sure so i mean yeah. we're going to get into that a little deeper as we go into that your first part of your pro career with those guys but talk about the le- uh the early years leading up to playing with red deer and how you ended up there <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'm from Saskatoon. I was born in Lloyd. We lived actually in a small town in Paradise Hill, Saskatchewan, which is just outside of Lloydminster, um, kind of surrounding area like uh, like Wade Redden uh, and a few others are from Hillmont, Saskatchewan, and kind of surrounding Lloyd. But I was born in 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 uh, Lloyd, so that's birthplace Lloyd. But I grew right. up and moved, uh, and all my you know school years were in Saskatoon. Um, and minor hockey with the Saskatoon Red Wings, which I loved. I love playing there, which is, I don't know, to go off on a tangent, but USA hockey is so weird comparatively to like how I grew up. It was like, it, it's so different. But anyways, my, my life was hockey and school and friends. Everyone just kind of did it. We skated outdoors like any Canadian kid. And um, I was playing hockey like a nut all the time and played midget AAA for the Saskatoon Blazers where Jared Stoll, who we just mentioned, had played. And many others uh, over their time. And um, yeah, I got drafted in the sixth round uh, to the Red Deer Rebels. And I don't know, I, 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 we had the Saskatoon blades. There is a pencil neck nerd right there. Thanks for flashing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. Look at how young I am. But um, yeah, I had, I had, we had the Saskatoon Blades who had been or been around for a long time and like our, our NHL team. And 
Uh, I went to a ton of games as a kid and, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool seeing those guys. So I guess I wanted to play in the WHL because of the Saskatoon blades, but I like didn't have a clue if it was attainable or what would happen or if I was good enough or how it was going to work. But uh, yeah, leading up to Red Deer, um, you know, I was just came from a regular family, man. Like, I don't know how to, my dad's a welder. My mom's a figure yeah. skating coach and power skating instructor. And I never really played like any spring hockey. Like you hear all these kids play and I didn't do any of that stuff. I, I rollerbladed every day all the time. I played hockey, street hockey, rollerblade hockey. I was just like a nut for hockey, but we couldn't really afford to play any of those spring teams. So uh, I know it's crazy now with the kids, but um, yeah, it was just, it was just regular. I played soccer, soccer in the summer, hockey in the winter. And that was my life. Squid. Was was Brent Sutter there when you uh, were in Red Deer? Yeah. So when I got drafted to Red Deer, it was, um, who was it? Terry Simpson and Wayne Simpson, I think was his brother. And they ran the team. And um, eventually after I got drafted, uh, that's when Brent bought the team and took it over. And that was my, I got cut as a 16 year old. I went back and played midget triple A. And because I have a late birthday, I'm kind of 16, 17 when I made the team. And that was Brent's first year of, of shutting her down, his career, and, and buying the Red Deer Rebels and coming in there. And, man, he we had a bunch of young kids. I was one of them. I think we had nine 16-year-olds on our team our first year. And made I think we made the playoffs that year and got pumped in the first round. But um, set us up pretty good for the next year. And, and Brent, yeah, he – he bought the team. He owned the team. He set all the standards. He set everything. He coached. He, he was a GM. Uh, yeah, he, he came in there and, and uh, completely flipped the, you know, the organization around. And in just a few years, we ended up winning the Memorial Cup. Well, I was going to get into that. Your yeah. draft year, you put up solid numbers right across the board, including the 21-game streak in the playoffs. You're a big yeah. guy. Uh, you know, thin, but you're a big size. Played physical about 156 penalty minutes, which suggests that you you were playing yeah. uh, a good indicator. You're playing physical, but you put up big numbers on the board. Also, what was the chatter leading into the draft? Any talk who may take you? Um, I didn't really. I was lucky. I had Brent though, because Brent, had, you know, with his NHL experience and um, you know, he he knew everybody in the game. He knew you know, agents, he knew, you know, GMs all over the place. He knew how, how it worked. He knew kind of like what you had to be prepared for. Uh, and my agent was uh, Newport sports out of, out of Toronto there. So yeah. um, I picked them later on of my draft year. So I didn't really have an agent at all leading up to my draft year until like partway or just before my draft year at the end of my first year, junior, I picked an agent right at the end of the year. Um, and I'd gotten go to the draft and I saw Jared Stoll, my buddy, uh, get drafted, um, and, and others. And so I kind of got an experience of what that was like, but going through my, my draft year, I was, I was aware of it, obviously like the prospects game and all that stuff you get to partake in, which I was lucky enough to, you know, get to do. And, um, you know, but I, I don't know, it was like, our team was so uber focused, like we were number one ranked in the country and, you know, Brent had the, you know, gas pedal pushed down on us pretty good. And. You know, my play, you know, the standard of my play, you mentioned penalty minutes. Like, I don't know, I guess I was kind of like a, I don't know, the way I played, I guess I was like kind of like a, like a caged animal a little bit, you know, and just, you know, <laughs> poked me with a stick and away I went. Like, it's just like whatever, you know, a little bit reckless <laughs> abandon and uh, ability to play with good players and, and also produce at the same time. So 
I was fortunate. We had a good group. We had a high standard and we had a good team and we could play any way you wanted to play as well. We could beat you six, five, or we could knock you down, drag them out in a two, one game too. So it was, it was an awesome experience. I still talk to a bunch of guys off that team yeah. all these years later. Uh, and it was truly a great place to play too. Like not a huge town or city, like most junior teams in Canada. Um, and it, the travel was like perfect. We we're, you know, central Alberta pretty much. And, um, it was just really comfortable and nice and, and perfect transition from Saskatoon to Red Deer. Where, where was your, uh, where was your draft? Colby? My, oh yeah. My draft was in sunrise, Florida. So where the Panthers play, oh. which is, if you've ever been there, it's uh, a rink out in the middle of <laughs> damn nowhere. Like there's like a, there's an outlet shopping center there. Like what the hell? That's it. Yeah. Um, so that's where I got drafted and it was actually maybe my, I want to say maybe my second time or third time ever flying on an airplane. And it may have been one of my first, I actually swam in the ocean for the first time at the draft. I never swam in the ocean. Um, and Warren Reichel was scouting for the Arizona Phoenix Coyotes at the time. Uh, and Shane Sherla. And I went and did like a pre, sometimes they ask you to do like a, another interview, like pre-draft at the yeah. draft. Uh, and so I went and they were in a hotel, like on a beach, which was super cool. Like I wasn't, I was with like my mom and dad and my brother and like a holiday in, like living, <laughs> living the dream. And so we went down there and they're interviewing me and they're just like regular hockey guys, you know? So it was kind of done. It was pretty casual and nice. I, I really liked both of those guys. They were great. And, uh, Bundy, Warren Reichel, who I've gotten to know after the fact, cause he was in Windsor Spitfires and scouted forever and ran Windsor and they ended up winning the moral cup a few years ago. And I worked it, but, uh, he took me down to his room. He had a pair of swim trunks. I put them on. I was like swimming in them. He's like, let's go. We're going to go for a swim in the ocean. I'm like, this is because I mentioned to them. I never swam in the ocean. So I was like, this is awesome. So we went down and wearing his swim trunks, like an extra pair of shorts or whatever. And him and I just went swimming in the ocean after one of our meetings. Maybe not the best idea because I was all ribs and uh, <laughs> like so skinny. It probably wasn't great. I should have kept my shirt on while I was swimming because I was so skinny. But a great experience nonetheless, and two great guys that I that was that was a cool experience. It was a it was a cool experience at the draft too, just to see like you know Wayne Gretzky's on the draft floor. All these people that I only saw on my TV maybe are are there. It's like kind of the first time I'd only been to a, maybe two or three NHL games at all in my life. And, uh, so it was, I mean, that was just a really cool experience with my mom and dad and brother. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty cool. I mean, uh, I remember my draft year was a year that the WHA merged with the NHL in 79 and our, it was yeah. just a phone draft and it was in August. So I'm just sitting at home waiting for a phone call and yeah, you know, no interviews, you know, nothing. So it was kind of, I love to see the draft because I, I love the fact that these kids get an opportunity to go to the building. And it was funny because my son in 2007, I believe it was his draft year. I was taking him down to Miami, Ohio for registration and all that. And yeah. the draft was in Columbus, which was only like an hour or so away. And I said, why don't we go? bring a suit and we'll go. He goes, no, I don't want to go to the draft. Rick Kern told me <laughs> not to go. And I said, well, I don't give a shit what Rick Kern said. I want <laughs> you to go. I think you're going to get drafted. Sure enough, we never went. And he went in the, it was the first pick in the fourth round by Anaheim. 
which I, I, I still to this day wish I had taken him there because he would have had a chance yeah. to go down the table, meet all the staff. Brian Burke was a GM at the time. And that yeah. didn't happen. So I, I, that disappointed me because, you know, I felt that he should have had that opportunity. And yeah, especially so. now, especially now, like those experiences and kind of the shine of the spectacle of the draft yeah. and being there and the way they do it now. And, uh, you know, we've never known – as much it's never been like it is now for knowing what players are, who they are, what they do. So it's, it's, it's yeah. like, people know these kids, you know, people can see these kids. There's highlight things on YouTube. It's everywhere. They have social media. Mm-hmm. You can find them. So it's really cool. Like you can kind of follow them up into their draft even and, and watch them get drafted, which is, which is, you know, really cool. Like I, I know you're saying like, you're waiting for a phone call. It never was what it is now to experience. And, you know, I remember even in my year, 2001, all we had was like the hockey news, man. Like you flip to like the, the two pages yeah. <laughs> that was dedicated to like CHL hockey. And I'd like go there and I'd look at it because like there's no YouTube or Internet. Like and I was like, wow, there's Jason Spezza. Like, that's cool. He was my draft year. I was like, oh, my God, Kovalchuk. It's like he never existed. He was like playing in <laughs> Russia. I was like, I've never seen that, anything on this guy. Like, who is this guy? So to see everybody at the draft is cool, but now it's like, you know, these kids, you know, it's a cool experience for them all to, 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 to experience. That's too bad. Your kid missed that. Cause yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool there with fans and, and everyone that's at the tables and seeing all the faces that you see on TV. And um, yeah, it's, it, it was a cool experience. Now what? Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm, I was more disappointed than him to be quite <laughs> honest with you, because I would have loved to have been there and to see my son get yeah. drafted because I never had that opportunity. So yeah. for me, that would have been fantastic. It would have been, would have been great. Now just going back, Kobe, uh, you're talking about uh, some of the pre-draft stuff, the interviews, what kind yeah. of questions do they ask you in the interviews? Like some of the, Oh, I got to ask the question in San Jose. I think uh, they they ask you like regular questions about what do you think you compare to, like all the standard stuff that we yeah. all see. But sometimes there's like some poking that goes on. I don't know what it's to do or why, but I got to ask like who the toughest league is: the Quebec League, Ontario, or the Western League? Yeah. And I was like, oh, of course, you know, it's the Western <laughs> League. Uh, <laughs> and he kind of stumped the guy that asked me too. He kind of like, it was like prepared or something, or, or I guess maybe not. It's just fact, but he ended up listing like all these Quebec league, like super tough players. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could have, I could have listed off a bunch of uh, Western in the West too, but uh, he kind of like, and I, you know, I'm like sitting there by myself. I was like, Oh my God. So I was like, he stumped me. It's like, he set me up to like, challenge me to like a tough off contest of who's tougher. And I, I was like, I don't know. So I was like, Oh, maybe I guess, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, the questions were all pretty standard. Like, um, like, how'd you grow up? What do you do? What kind of player do you think you are? Who do you think you compare to? When do you think you can play in the NHL? Um, you know, um, to just, you know, casual, easy, light conversation. Some of them, like even when like Pittsburgh, I didn't even think about my, my Pittsburgh interview was so casual, but I do remember it because I went in, I had a suit on, <laughs> I was told to wear a suit and I did like, I did like 20 some interviews the one day. And then I did the remainder of the teams the next day and I didn't even eat lunch, nothing. I was just cooking through these things. It's like every 15 minutes you're in another room. And I remember I went into Pittsburgh's room 
And it was uh, Eddie Johnson, who I sit and watch up yeah. in the press box with now. Of course, he ex-goaltender, Stanley Cup champ, Bobby Orr guy, and coach in the NHL, and drafted Mario. And he's like a legend here. And I get to hang out with him. He's like one of the best guys ever. And uh, and Bugsy Malone, Greg Malone, uh, who was the head scout yeah. at the time, and yeah. lives here still. And I play ended up playing with his son. But they yeah. were just chilling in a room. And I remember I knocked on the door. I came in. They're like, oh, hey, how's it going? I came in. I'm wearing my suit. You know, I'm like kind of like tired. It's hot. I'm like kind of sweating. I'm nervous. And I sit down. And I remember like EJ Eddie was like laying on the bed watching TV. And like uh, he's probably like tired, you know. It's like a long day. And like uh, Malone like just chilling, like kicks off his flip-flops. And we just start talking. I'm sitting there. He goes, he goes, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just hot. He's like, take off your coat. Take off your coat. I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. He's like, no, take it off. Take it off. So he helps me take off my suit coat and my back is just soaked like a puddle in my back. <laughs> I'll never forget. So I was like kind of embarrassed. I'm like, God damn, I should have kept my coat on. What am I doing? This looks ridiculous. But wow. yeah, they ended up drafting yeah. me. Uh, they ended up drafting me. So, and I know them both very well now and um, just two great guys. So it's well, funny thinking back on that. Yeah. He's another uh, Maritimer. Ah. Malone, yeah, is he Bugsy. from New Brunswick? Yeah, Bugsy, is he yeah. from New Brunswick? Yep. Well, if it makes yeah. you feel better, Colby, yeah. we had Ethan Morrow on uh, oh, about a month or so ago when he went for his interview with Boston and Harry Sinden. Harry Sinden looked yeah. at him. His first question goes, what number do you want to wear? And he said, four or eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty quick. And that was the end of the interview. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's pretty quick thinking on his part, uh, right or wrong. It's still yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, that's, that's, funny. Pretty quick. that's a I good story. But oh, oh that reminds me of a story too. Yeah. I went to uh, the Florida Panthers had me for an interview, and I went in there. There's a bunch of guys who were like at a board table, almost like they had a table in their room, and I think they were picking like really high in the draft. I forget, and they're like, "Well, you're ranked here, and we're drafting here." It's, it was like you know, out of my range. Are we wasting our time? And I just remember like looking at the guy, I was like, no, man, like you might as well just pick me at number four or whatever that it was. And they started laughing. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe I maybe I convinced them enough, you know, maybe. Okay, you go through all that, then obviously I think you go back to junior and then yeah. you know, you play a little bit in the minors. Like we asked all the guys, there there's always obviously a moment or a period of time where all of a sudden you go, okay, I'm good enough to play with these guys. Yeah. Like when was that moment for you? Cause I know for me, like, well, my last year junior was pretty good with 76 goals and 156 points, <laughs> but it was a WHK year when I was, yeah, that wasn't too shabby. It was, and it was in that tough Quebec league too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it was, for me, the, the biggest was, as a 19 year old playing in the WHA after that year, I said, okay, I know I can play with these guys. Yeah. For me, I don't know. I, I was kind of a late bloomer, I would say for being a first round pick. Um, and then a few other things led, I think possibly to it. And, you know, the situation I think helped me get there, but also limited me from getting there as well earlier or even getting some games earlier. So, you know, the penguins, uh, we're going through financial issues and um, bankruptcy talk and the team moving chatter. <clears throat> and so we actually had, you know, we had a really good American hockey league team. Like we were, we were pretty good. We went to the 
we had some good playoff runs. We went to the Calder Cup final the one year and lost. Uh, but we we had a lot of first like Ryan Whitney played their first first round pick. We had Brooks Orpik first round pick, uh, Mark Andre Fleury first overall pick. Um, you can go down the list of all their draft picks that they had down there. And um, you know Chris Beach, another kid I played against, who was a first a fifth overall I think pick to the Capitals, was in the Yager trade, a good player too. And uh, you know we just had a lot of a lot of young guys, kind of marinating, I guess. Uh, down in Wilkesbury, and you know, after a couple years there, uh, and going to camp, and then starting to play some preseason games, uh, I wasn't as—I wouldn't say I was overwhelmed, but I thought I fit in a lot more, and I was producing through the games and in camp, and I was, you know, just getting more confident and getting better. I—I I, I look back on my career now, though, and I like, you know, playing three and a half years in the minors as a first overall pick or first round pick, sorry, twenty-first overall. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time I was, I was kind of upset and I cleared waivers the one year and I was like, damn, man, I'm going to have to play in Russia next year. Like, I, I'm not going to make it. Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, to the point where, you know, uh, just after Christmas and between years of Christmas, I ended up getting called up that same year and never went back down. But it was just it was just like the right circumstance. And it was now that I look back on it, I'm thankful for, you know, preparing me the way it did in the minors and, you know, getting to play the way we were set up, like I said, with our group kind of came up together. Um, and I think it aided when you dump in, uh, you know, the talents like, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and, and Sid and, and Malkin and, and Jordan Stahl, who played as an 18 year old surrounded by like Mark Recchi and Daryl Sador and Lyle Odeline and uh, John LeClaire. And, you know, we had a good mix of really good veteran guys. Gary Roberts as well came and had some time with us and, and a good mix of guys that had come up together and, and are, were like tight and were, were like best friends mixed with like an older group of guys that like took us under their wings and helped us and took care of us too at the same time at the next level. But we were marinated and ready, you know, to take that step together. So yeah, it was, it was, it was great years there. We had a crazy fan base in Wilkesbury. I married a girl from Wilkesbury, you know, three and a half years there is, is a long, is a long time. And, uh, um, but I, I, I appreciated, you know, everything about it. You mentioned the team almost going bankrupt. I remember that time Yeah. because Pittsburgh were, were drawing in, in the eighties, yeah. they were drawing like, they almost went out of business in the eighties and then they drafted Mario Lemieux in 85 yeah. and that's, that saved the franchise. Then it comes around again in the early two thousands and then they luck out yeah. and get the first overall pick the year Sidney Crosby's available and he saved them again. So what was it like going through that? Like, you know, not knowing whether or not this team was actually going to be around must've been crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was actually really crazy. And you remember like Jim Balsilli, like the Blackberry guy, I remember him like in talks. I remember seeing him uh, coming to our games at the time. And there was rumors that he might be involved in, and there was rumors we were going to move to like Hamilton to Kansas city to, and I mean, we're playing, we're playing. We got like Crosby on our team. We're playing Mario just retired for the last time. Um, you know, I came up after I never got to play with him in, in any real games, but he was around and he just retired. I went to his retirement in the arena for the last time. And, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. I mean, the guys, it's like, you can't even talk when he's around. He's so cool. 
Um, but you know, they've got Crosby and Malkin and like, you know, we're starting to get something going here. We've got this old barn, which I love to play in. Um, and all these, you know, financial clouds hanging over our head and team selling and moving and moving the franchise and what's going to happen. So yeah, it was, it was turbulent times and I'll, I'll never forget guys. Um, probably the loudest, one of the loudest I've ever heard that rink and, I wasn't around for any Stanley Cup stuff, but when Mario came on the ice uh, and announced that uh, the franchise was staying in Pittsburgh and it wasn't going anywhere, I'll never forget that. It was like, it was just crazy. It was like a crazy announcement. The city went nuts. And now living back here, I mean, it's amazing. They got a brand new rink. Uh, they've gotten, you know, three cups, you know, since then uh, to go to the other two. And they've, uh, and they've, you know, think of how many countless, you know, Pittsburgh was a, you know, steel town and it was, you know, the downtown yeah. is totally revitalized. There's restaurants yeah. and bars and shopping and it is so cool here compared to even when I played here, it's changed so much. And to think what that team has done to like help the downtown area with restaurants, jobs, you know, shopping, hotels, like you can go down the list and to be as successful as a team as they have as well through that time. Thank God for Mario Lemieux. Well, you went through those yeah. three and a half years in uh, Wilkes-Barre and, you know, you were building the, they were building the foundation for a team pre-SID. So he arrives, yeah. same year he arrives, you arrive to make the team full-time. You know, where I'm going with this. You end up on yeah. his line. All of a yeah. sudden things start, all of a sudden, was all that weight worth it? I mean, if you think about it now, you put up 40 points in 47 games. You probably didn't want the season to end, even though you guys weren't yeah. going in the playoffs. It's just, why did it all work? Oh, yeah, you hit it. You hit it the nail right on the head because I had Michelle Terrian and Mike Yo were our coaches down there, yeah. and I had them for several years. And, you know, uh, Michelle Terrian's like a very demanding coach, has super high standard, and like he really pushes you. And, you know, we had, we had a relationship that was kind of back and forth a little bit, I would say. <laughs> well, didn't you set a record for uh, meetings? Didn't you keep track of meetings? And you oh, yeah, me and a buddy, Matt Murley, we kept track of how many meetings we would have with the coach because he was constantly pushing <laughs> us to get back, you know, to play what he expected us to play better. And, you know, uh, just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm just going to play like hard and I'm going to play reckless and the rest will come with it instead of thinking so much. And that's, you know, kind of when my game started to, you know, come along. And um, so when I got called up eventually to that, you know, Pittsburgh team, they, they had uh, Michelle Terry had been there for a month already. And I was, I was, I was like, I was like really good in the American league at the time. I wasn't like lighting it up, but I was like a super effective player. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my last game, I think I had, four points like then I got called up after that game and I was our team was good we were like I don't think we'd lost a game up until that point either we were like 30 and oh um you know so I had a relationship with Michelle so I, I didn't get to Sid's line right away I played on the fourth line for about you know 10 or 12 games you know so I'm playing majority of my ice time or time on ice is on the penalty kill and I'm having to kind of try to earn my way into this into this picture by you know, getting noticed and being effective and all that stuff, Rick, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> maybe what that's like, or seeing guys trying to do that. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was just throwing up there one game. I got, I got tossed up on his line one game and I scored. I, I, I ended up scoring that game 
no, sorry. I scored a power play goal. I was getting a put on the power play. I scored a power play goal. Next game, I was on a line with him. And I scored another goal. I scored like back-to-back games. I think it was in Chicago that I scored the second goal. And I was on a line with like him and Zygmunt Palfi, who was there at the time too. So it was like, I'm playing with like these these two studs, you know. Ziggy wasn't very fast, but he was crafty and smart as hell, man. He was sick and uh, unbelievable hands, just really crafty. And uh, I think Michelle knew what I could provide to that line. He always used to tell me like with his French accent, like (laughs) – when you think you're better than you are, that's when you, you know, get in the tree, like be Colby Armstrong. That's all you have to do. So he didn't want me doing drop passes or fancy bullshit that first line guys get away with. I was to, you know, add my exclamation point and my personality and my game, um, you know, to enhance that line or to enhance those guys. And, you know, I learned early that if, you know, I do that, um, I think it, it makes our, it makes Sid better. And I think we kind of thought the game the same, but it also makes me much more effective and dangerous as well to be kind of like a on the edge type of player. But um, yeah, it was, it started off like that. And man, once it took off, you said all the points, like I'll never forget. We ended the season in Toronto. They beat us and I got my four. I think I had two points that night, a goal and assist. Sid got like a hundred is 103rd or fourth point. I don't know how many points he got that year. And I remember walking out of the rink and I was like, damn, is it over already? Like we, we were like dead last in the league though. We were dead last, but I was having a blast just riding shotgun with Sid and, and he was young too. And we were, we were, we were having some fun, man. It was every night we were in the, we were right in, in the mix. So it was, it was wild to be around, especially like the media attention that Sid got too. It was like a, it was a circus all the time. Kobe, you talked about your meetings with Michelle. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. I coached St. John for two years in the American League, uh, Calgary's farm team. He's coaching Fredericton. Now, they had a stupid rule in the American League back then where if the coach, you dress 16 and 2, unless the coaches agree to dress 17 or 18 and 2, which I thought was a ridiculous rule to begin with. Well, every time we played Fredericton, we had more depth. So he would go, no, I I only have 16 and (laughs) 2. And I'm like, I, I see like six guys sitting in the stands with their suits on. And I'm like, so finally after about my, my boss has given me shit because I got to sit some young guys out. <laughs> yeah. So finally one night we're, we're talking before the game and he says, oh, I only have 16 and who he says, I'm sorry. And I, 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 I like, we almost ended up in a fight below down, down on the beach because he wouldn't dress more than 16. And I don't know how I would have done, but. I think yeah. it was done okay. I know he was pretty pretty tough when he played, but I don't know. I think I was in better shape than he was anyway. Yeah, the game within the game, eh? hey, Squid? The well, game Kobe, within the game. I, I was going to ask you, Kobe, you and uh, Sid became very close friends, and you're probably still very close to this day. Um, you know, what was it that uh, you guys just – well, you guys connected so it was just you were kind of the new kids in the block, so you kind of hung around together. And as a second part to the question – he seems like a very intense and very sort of quiet guy, like a lot of elite athletes are. So it's not surprising there. What is something about him the listeners might be surprised to hear about his character personality? Oh yeah, he's what hasn't been said or told about him already. I guess he everyone wants to know about him. But um, you know, as much as you say that about him, I, I always thought he was like 
he just wants to have fun, man. He loved being at the rink and, and we all did. We got kicked off the ice like all the time after practice. Like that's enough time to get off. And there was like a, there was like a group of us, you know, and then we'd sit in our gear, half gear and throw tape bowls and garbage cans and bet and have fun and horse around and make fun of each other. And until the yeah. trainer told us it's time, you got to get out of here. You got to go home. So it was constantly like that with our group, but um, hanging around him, being his friend, I, I'm like a loud mouth. I like to have fun and I like to, uh, you know, chirp guys and, uh, get the boys going and get everyone involved. And so, you know, I, I actually got to meet a bunch of his junior friends over the last few years too, and be at his cup parties and meet like kind of his crew of boys that he hangs out with. And, and I got to say a lot, all of them are a lot like me. So I think he, uh, <laughs> I think he, uh, he likes There's to surround himself. Connection. Yeah, I can see the connection of how he likes to, you know, hang out with guys that are maybe a little more outgoing, let's just say, you know, and uh, lively and uh, put himself around that. But as maybe, I, I don't know how it worked out that we became roommates. And um, But I, I love the guy. Like, he's a competitor. He, he knows when to have fun. He likes to let loose. He's... Um, easy guy to hang around with. He appreciates everybody. He's like the mo- one of the more thoughtful guys I've ever played with as far as, yep. you know, everybody involved from, you know, the trainers to, you know, the guy that's getting scratched every night. And, uh, you know, even the hardest, some of the hard things and maybe something he's never been through in his life, but he, he has time to appreciate or, or, you know, tap a guy on the shoulder and say, he's hang in there. You know, he's just like a real thoughtful person. Maybe that's cause he's got that, uh, uh, Maritime's upbringing, all those people there out east, go, yeah, right, Rick. There you go, yeah. man. I love it out there. The people yeah. out there are awesome. I got. I think that's. I think that's a lot of it. I think that's a lot of it. Yeah. He's like a humble guy. He comes from a small town, and he's just a regular Canadian kid. Um, but man, he, uh, the not stuff a bad that he, hockey. He, not a bad hockey player either. <laughs> well, the only thing that's lacking is his play. I mean, heck of a kid, but he, he can. <laughs> If he could only come through in the clutch, you know, he's just so damn. Well, I can tell I you know. that uh, Ricky Tocchin's a very good friend of mine. And I went down to watch yeah. him play when he was coaching here a couple of years ago. So I took my son down and we went and he said, well, you got to come on to the practices and watch Sid, but get there early. Oh. So I said, sure. So we get there like a half an hour before the skate was at 11. We got there at 1030. He comes on at 25 two, and Rick's on with the fourth liners and the black aces doing drills. Yeah. Sid comes on the ice, butts in. Does the drill. Oh, yeah. Doesn't do it right. Butts in again, does it. But they just get out of his way. And he worked harder than any guy in that ice for 25 minutes. Then was the hardest working guy in practice. It was incredible. Yeah, and I, I love that about him. But I, like, I remember, so three and a half years of the minors, I come up. Now I'm landing on this kid's line that's like, you know, they've been talking about him since he's 13 years old, about how he's the next great, greatest thing in hockey. And I'm a guy that just like trying to fight to stay in the league. And this guy's splitting defensemen. And he's doing like crazy stuff like you could never imagine doing. And he's 18 years old, and uh, which was electric. But like I'm telling you that story, I would uh, I would get up to go to practice in the morning just because he practiced with like such a ferocity and like he was he was ready to go. It was fun to him though. It was fun to him. It was fun to him to like be the best in practice. It's fun to him to like lay it on the line and like work hard and do it right. You know, that's, that's like, that's how it's supposed to be done. So, you know, for me to go to practice in the morning, like I wanted to play with him. I wanted to like keep up to him. I didn't want to disappoint because he was demanding in practice too. Like, Hey, you got to be better. Hey, make that play, which, you know, I'm fine with. I don't, I'm not soft. I, I can take it, you know, but 
I wanted to be that guy too, so bad that I was like so anxious going to the rink in, in the mornings because <laughs> I did not want to have it. Like my, yeah. those were like game. Those were like games to me at the time. I was like, Holy <laughs> shit. What did I get myself into here? I got to be ready to go like every damn day. I didn't want to come in and have my Jersey color be different. I wanted to play with this kid. Yeah. Like this is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life, you know, is playing alongside this kid. So I'm like, I've got to be ready every friggin' morning to like every drill to a T making play sharp, like doing it the exact way, like hundred percent, like everything. Cause if you didn't, you're left in the dust, man. Like he is, he is rolling and you either keep up or you're done. Uh, you can't, you can't stay with them. So I, yeah. I was, I was, I was aware of that and I was pushing myself to like, try to hang in there, you know, for as long as I could and ride yeah. that bull till it bucked me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got the chance to, I've never gotten the chance to meet Sid, but I played with Mario in the world championships in 85 in yeah. Czechoslovakia. And I saw Sid play in the Memorial Cup in London. And I'll tell you what, those two guys were unbelievable players. I mean, I and they were both young. They were both 18 years old or whatever when they played. Like Mario, he, he wanted to go home from Czechoslovakia. We had to convince him to stay, and then he led the tournament <laughs> in scoring. Yeah. He won the silver medal. And the rest is history. I mean, it was great. Oh, but, yeah, man. But we He's had to convince him right? this. Oh, my God. And I say, I, I said it, and I will say it forever, is that the only guy that I could see that would have had a chance to break Wayne Gretzky's point record if he hadn't had the cancer and the injuries and all that was Mario Lemieux because of his size yeah. and his ability. And – I mean, the guy was unbelievable. And yeah, and you know what? He's a he's, uh, he's, a, he's a big figure in Pittsburgh. Oh, he's the guy. He's the god. I mean, he's got statue downtown here at the rink, and um, people love him. I mean, he saved the team. He's like you know just sold the team, but he he saved the team at the time and kept it there. But yeah. I remember seeing him, and he's so big, right? Like he's so tall, but he has such a presence. It's yeah. almost like there's like an or like you can't talk around him almost when he, I remember when he'd walk in the room and I was young, I'd just be like, wow, there's Mario. <laughs> and then I got to do camp too. I skated on the line with him too. And like everything he did was, did was with such ease. Like a, he's so big and lanky, but like strong, but like smooth. It was so weird to see. And he'd skate down the ice and it looked like he was barely moving or trying. And he's flying by everybody. Like he'd burn, split the D, dangle. I'm like, he makes it look so, so easy. I remember we were doing like half moon, you know, shooting at the end yeah. of camp one day. This is a story I always share. This is like one of the few times I had courage to go talk to him. And we're <laughs> shooting and, you know, there's like Kovalev, Straka, Lang. Like, there, you know, there's some pretty, you know, skilled, cool names out there. And he's standing there and I'm standing kind of next to him and we're just shooting. We get the, the guys passing from the corner, going around the horn, just shoot it. They're long distance shots. And he would, it would go in next one. He, everyone would shoot and his would go in again. It would like squeak through like the arm, you know, he had, he had a knack of just scoring. So I remember I went up and I'm like, excuse me, uh, Mr. Lemieux, Mario, uh, can I ask you a question? And I was like, you know, I was like 19 or 20. He's like, yeah, sure. Kid. What is it? I'm like, uh, how do you do that? Like, how, what do you look at from here? Like to score, like, do you look for like the goalie's feet to move or is there any in particular, like, you know, something he's like, well, 
first thing I do is I take the pass, I take a quick look, and then I shoot it. And that was his advice to me. It's like that. E <laughs> I thought it was hilarious because it's like he can't even explain how friggin' good he is, dum dum. Like, figure it out, RV. You ask like the like an in-depth question about like, you know, you know, eight, one plus one equals two. Like this guy is like so good, he can't even explain it to me. It's just easy. Yeah. Um, well, then we got to get to the next part of this. February 26, 2008, you hear three words hockey players dread, and it wasn't it's your round. Rather, you betrayed it. <laughs> yeah. How did that all unfold that you couldn't have been happy? Yeah, I know I wasn't happy. Well, I wasn't happy at all. I was completely, like, stunned by it. Maybe, you know, me being young and never traded before, you know, maybe you could say I'm stupid too if we're thinking that, but um, you know, we were, we were on the rise and, you know, at the time we, we had, uh, I think we were battling Montreal, I think that year for first place in our conference at the time. So we had, a, we had kind of, uh, after the previous year, losing to Ottawa in the first round, uh, I remember at the end of that year going, we're going to be good next year. Like guys were saying like, let's be ready to go next year. Like we got a team, like we're going to build on this. We kind of got that taste, you know, um, and we were, we were good, man. And, uh, we were playing in long Island that day. And we're playing the Islanders that night and I was pregame napping. I didn't even cross my mind. Sid wasn't there. He was usually my roommate. And he, he was out with like, I think he had a high ankle sprain at the time or something. So he had missed a few games leading up to that. And um, <clears throat> so when I came to the hotel room in, in uh, Long Island, I had my own room, which is weird. Cause I'm like not old enough. Like we got some veteran guys that were sharing rooms still. And like, you know, kind of on the pecking order, yeah. they should have just like probably pushed me into a room with someone else randomly but I came in and like, I had my own room. But, so like in, initially I'm like, Oh, this isn't a good sign. Like, what the hell is this? Like, why would they give me my own room? You know, maybe overthinking it a bit, but nonetheless, yeah, the next day morning skate, I'm pregame napping and my phone starts like buzzing. I had like a cell phone at the time is like buzzing next to my bed. And I woke up, it was my mom. My mom told me I got traded. It was like, I think it was like three Oh five. And I usually sleep from two to four. So the trade went through like just after the deadline. It was like a last minute big trade for Hosa and Dupuy. And then uh, me and Christensen and a, and a few others going the other way to Atlanta. And at the time, I didn't know. My mom told me, what are you doing? I said, I'm pregame napping. I said, what, what do you mean? You know, I have a game tonight. Like, God, mom, leave me alone. Like, come on. <laughs> I get mad at my mom. And she, she told me, uh, oh, you don't know. Yeah, you got traded. And I, I found out yeah, my mom because she saw it on TV. But didn't you go wow. to the rink the morning and the guys had pulled your bag out? Teasing oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The guys played a prank on me after morning skate. I came out and my bag was because we're, we were there for the game, right? So my bag shouldn't have been pulled out. So I came in the room and there was like media in the room and everything. And my bag's like sitting in front of my locker. And I'm like, oh, uh, what the hell? So, yeah, they, they, we had a good group, man. They're hilarious. The guys were awesome. So that was a crappy way to get traded, though, because like, everyone was kind of getting up and ready to go to the game. I was trying to get my life together. I had like a toothbrush and a duffel bag and guys kind of stopped by my room to say, see you later on the way to the bus to go to the rink. And it was like super quick. It wasn't like everyone thinks like you, you know, hang out with the fellas and, you know, have a send off and say thanks for everything. And like, they're your best friends in the hockey world, you know? So it was, it was crazy. I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I think the Thrashers at the time were playing in Montreal too. So I couldn't like, 
I, I was like, am I going to Montreal? Am I going, where am I going? They sent me to Atlanta and I waited for them to come back from their road trip. So it was kind of like a up in the air type of deal with just one duffel bag and a suit. Cause it was, you know, we travel pretty good out East here, right? Like it's, you're in your bed yeah. most more often than not. You just a one day in and out type of thing. And I wasn't prepared. I should have packed a suitcase, right? I should have packed a big suitcase. <laughs> well, yeah, Atlanta, you never know. I mean, yeah. you never yeah. know uh, yeah. what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I go to practice planning on playing in Chicago the day after yeah. Christmas on Boxing Day, and I get traded to Buffalo, and I'm supposed to play in Buffalo that night. And of course, there's <laughs> yeah. a snowstorm. I don't, I don't get there in time, and I walk into the room and. The game's over, and I meet my new teammates, and I don't see my family until February 4th. Yeah. Yeah. So, you it's know, crazy. my wife had to had to do everything by herself in Chicago with the, the house, put it up for sale, get the movers, and we everything. have a three-year-old boy, and she's, and she's pregnant, and she's got to do everything yeah. herself. Which I'll tell you what, it's a good time game. to pump up the hockey players' wives and girlfriends, man. There's a good endorsement yeah. right there because I'm telling you, like, I've seen it over the years too, guys getting traded or sent down and, you know, guys have kids and it's just, you know, those, those, yeah. those uh, women, they're tough as nails and they're, they're smart and they, and they do everything. They literally do everything so that, you know, guys can play hockey, but they pick up all the pieces, they handle everything. I don't know how yeah. the hell they do it. And I've met so many awesome wives and girlfriends in my time in the league playing on all these teams. Um, and they're, they don't get enough love. I don't think so. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that story, Rick, because it's so true. Well said. That's, yeah. that, that's well said. Uh, Kobe. I, I don't think it happens as much in today's game though. Does it like they kind of help out a lot. The teams nowadays more so than they, they would have been in your time or my time. I would think. I think it's, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit, I think everything, every division of every aspect is a lot bigger now, you know, from, you know, chefs in the room to, you know, like I remember eating Fruit Loops before practice in Pittsburgh and now they have a full blown <laughs> kitchen with a chef there. They make some breakfast and lunch after yeah. everything. So, you know, the times have evolved and gotten that much bigger and more attention to different details and a little bit more help, I think. But nonetheless, like, I still think that, uh, you know, the guys, uh, you know, rely on the backbone that is their, their significant others for a lot of things. Well, Gerard Glant might not agree. With, uh, Gerard Glant may not agree with that after getting fired in that Florida that time. <laughs> looking for a cat to take him to the rink, but that's all there. time, isn't it? That's all yeah. time. That's the class. That's crazy. Now here's the thing for you. Another, another, another maritime or two, but yeah. another one. Another yeah. actually. Here's the other yeah. one. Bobby. By the way, do you play, do you play the guitar? No, I just got it there. It's a conversation piece. I suck at music. Oh, okay. I I, I was curious. I suck. I tried to get lessons. I tried to get lessons. It's actually a regular like righty guitar, but I play lefty. So I got my buddy to restring it. So I play it like upside down. I don't even know. like, But I don't even know how to play. I don't know. I suck. <laughs> so I was gonna hard. Ask, yeah. I was going to ask you, Kobe, going to Atlanta, uh, they turned out to have a pretty good nucleus of a hockey club that ended up in Winnipeg, obviously. But yeah. is that you're you get there, you're a little bit unsettled, but all of a sudden you're you're there, you're in a city where nobody recognizes you guys. You're probably playing in you might as well have been playing in Siberia, it probably sounds <laughs> yeah. like. But 
here's a good team on the rise, but all the rumors about the team settling in or moving, did you start thinking, here we go again? I just went through all this in Pittsburgh, finally got settled on the club and they moved me. And now here I'm going through it again. Yeah. And I mean, I played in Atlanta, right? Everyone went there on the road and you saw like what the fans were like. I mean, it was pretty dismal um, for support. We did have like some pretty good, you know, a pretty good fan base. They were really small, like our booster club and whatnot, and like the hardcores, but it's just yeah. not a lot, you know? And, you know, living in Atlanta too, like a lot of people go there to work or traveled there to move there to work. So it'd be funny. I'd be driving to go play like Detroit or Boston and it'd be like cars full of people with Bruins or Detroit jerseys on trying to get downtown to the rink. So yeah. it was just like an interesting place to play. I truly love living there though. I still have friends from there, like my neighbors and stuff that I still talk to just great people. Um, it was cheap to live there. It was, all, <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, the food was great. Yeah. Uh, and the people were super friendly. So it's too, it's too bad. Hockey didn't work out there. Like they didn't put yeah. more into it and making it work. Cause it was kind of like a really cool place. Like I got married there Two of my kids were born there. Uh, the one I was playing in Montreal at the time. And we went back to Atlanta to have my second child just because the hospitals and everything there were so awesome. Um, but I, I, yeah, we enjoyed our time there. But yeah, I could see like the writing on the wall. Like it wasn't, it was kind of like, what are they going to do with this thing? And I kind of see it. It looks like, you know, with Arizona right now, it's kind of like, what are they going to do with this thing? You know, it's yeah. kind of like the same picture. Yeah. yeah. Now talk about moving to Toronto. Where we just got, we got yeah. a few minutes left here with you. And we want to thank you for sticking with us this long. And uh, yeah, no worries. All of this, but um, just you, you signed as a free agent in Toronto. Uh Money-wise, was that the thing that drove you, or was it the Berkey influence, or both? Uh, <laughs> it was the Leafs, man. It was the Leafs. It was uh, an opportunity to go play somewhere where, um, you know, I had in my mind, I want to go somewhere where they cared, you know, where it felt like they cared anyways. And, you know, I grew up watching the Leafs in my household. I was a Habs fan as a kid, so um, it wasn't the Habs, but it was, uh, it was, it was, you know, the, the next – biggest thing in Canada, I guess, maybe if not the biggest with fan base, um, is Toronto Maple Leafs. So it was an opportunity to go somewhere where, you know, hockey was, is number one, you know, the fan base is crazy for it. The expectation is, you know, we're going, we want to win and, you know, everything that goes along with the pressure cooker that is playing for the Leafs and playing in Toronto. So I went from like the most, opposite world in Atlanta to like, you know, I went into like the gong show that is, you know, the Leafs and Leafs nation and Toronto and man, I didn't know Toronto was that big at all either until I moved there. And, you know, you, you, you play there, you just kind of fly in and fly out and you're just kind of in downtown. You don't really explore too much. You go eat at a couple of restaurants, ho-hum, get out of there. But when you're there, man, that city, it's just stretches on forever and ever. It's like the biggest city ever. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big difference, and it was it was um, a really cool experience. So, like, it was awesome playing there, putting on that jersey, being a part of the organization. Um, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. I uh, I never experienced you know the injuries and kind of the setbacks and you know the um, adversity to get over you know mentally or personally just with dealing with stuff that I had to go through that you know, with pressure weighing on you as well and a new contract. And, you know, I cared too. I cared. I wanted to be, I wanted to be good. I wanted to play like the, what I could bring to the lineup. And, you know, I thought people would like it too. Like I thought I worked hard and people would appreciate my game and it just never really 
panned out where I could stay healthy long enough in my two years there um, to where I could get any kind of traction or anything going. So it was, it was tough. And, and my injury sucked too. Like I tore my hand up, had to have surgery. I broke both my feet one year. I got a concussion. I like, it was like everything was happening where I couldn't really, you know, when you get a concussion or I got a high ankle sprain too, which was brutal. That's like, you can't do anything too. Like you're sitting on the couch almost cause you can't move around and concussion. You can't do anything. I was like, I was messed up for a while with that. So they were hard things to come back from. And, uh, I just couldn't get my kind of wheels turned into the point where I, I, I wanted to as, as my time there, my experience was there. So it was, it was something I look back on. I'm kind of sour about it just because I wanted to go better. Well, I was going to say to you, you probably wanted yeah. to sit down with the hockey gods. I mean, breaking, <laughs> both, I mean, breaking both feet. You got to say, guys, give me a break here. I mean, if you want, oh. okay, but both. Yeah. I mean, it was challenging, man. It was, it was probably as much as physically being hurt sucks, but like rehabbing to come back is, you know, like, okay, this is going to take you four weeks. Okay. That sucks. Okay. Day to day. And you're by yourself a lot. You're training guys are on the road. I, I was separated a lot from the team through my time as a leaf. Um, and, but, um, you know, the expectation of, of going to a market like that and wanting to be like in, in, an impactful player, like I thought I could be through either the depths of the lineup or in the middle of the lineup where I thought it could fit, yep. um, for it not to really like pan out for me. Like I wanted it to with, with my expectations on myself. Um, I think mentally more than anything, it was extremely challenging that way. It's good. It's good. Yeah. I, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, especially in a place like Toronto, you, you sign as yeah. a free agent and you're going through all this thing, these injuries and stuff. And, and it's keeping you from, like you said, getting traction and becoming the type of player there that yeah. you are. So then all of a sudden it gets inside of your melon and the next yeah. thing you know, you're, you know, it's driving you crazy. Um, but it's a wonderful place to play. I, I yeah. can't imagine playing. I honestly, if I could play anywhere, I don't think I'd want to play anywhere other than Toronto. I mean, yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing it, guys like yourself or guys that are like successful or guys that have had their time there. They should do a science project on guys that do good, like, you know, study, study your brain or your cells or something like guys that make it work and succeed and thrive to guys that are pretty darn good hockey players. And I'm not saying just me because I, you know, injuries and whatever you can blame it on, but other players that are good players that just, and I mean, it happens on other teams too, but just good players that, you know, coming into that situation of Toronto and, you know, this, you know, what it is to play for the Leafs and kind of the expectation and, uh, you know, the pressure that goes with that to see why guys handle it differently and better and thrive in it. And some guys don't, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. Well, let's talk about two of those polarizing characters. One of them, Phil Kessel. He can be classified as an enigma during his time in Toronto. You saw him with Pittsburgh, what he did there with a couple of cups and how he contributed, and he was a key part of those wins. Was it fair the pressure put on him, or was he just one of those guys who was quiet quiet and private just because he wasn't vocal and loud, and he just went about doing things? He He didn't get a fair shake. I thought Phil was good as a leaf in my time there too. Like he was, he was our guy and like, could he have scored 50 goals? Sure. That would have been nice, but like it's tremendous amount of pressure to put on a pretty darn good gifted player. And, you know, was he the guy that's going to, you know, run through a wall to get it done? No, he's not. And I think that's, 
you know, the great thing about when he came to Pittsburgh is because it like kind of allowed him to be him to produce and play the way he does, mm-hmm. but kind of be behind Sydney and Gino in regards to like the spotlight or the demands of, of the expectation and with his personality and man, he's skilled, man. Like he's good at like a lot of things too, like golf, poker, ping pong, like everything he does. He's like just really gifted and naturally good at things. Um, but I thought, I thought, you know, when you're somewhere as long as he is and you're, you're kind of the focal point and you're the main star player uh, and it's not ever going, you know, there's always been, you know, uh, the fan base is always, we want more, we want more, we want playoffs, we want wins. Um, it falls on somebody. And, and I think, you know, for what Phil did and the production that he had when he was with the, with the Leafs, I thought it was just, you know, a matter of time, likely if things didn't pick up with the, in regards to wins and success with the team that, you know, someone would have to pay the piper. And um, more often than not, it's the guys that are at the center of it or in the main picture that, that eat it a lot. Well, it, it's kind of difficult too, I think, Colby, in that, like I've always said, Mike's heard me say it a million times probably already. But, I mean, if you don't have thick skin and are able to let yeah. things roll off your back, you can't play in, in Toronto or Montreal because especially if you're one of the main uh, characters yeah. of the team, like Kessel yeah. was supposed to be, I mean, it's very difficult. And, and I remember him, you know, lashing out at reporters and stuff yeah. like that. Well, that, that, that doesn't endear you to the city of Toronto or, or the fans either. But yeah, and I think I think we saw. If you can't, if you, if you can't, I think we saw a public breakup, didn't we? At times with some players uh, in Toronto, there's a lot of public breakups that go on uh, where yeah. it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't uh, it doesn't end the way everyone thinks it would or it would go the way it no. always should go. But um, yeah, it's an interesting beast to be a part of it, though, and to say you wear the jersey and uh, you know uh, you know experience it, and you know when things are good, they're great. And when things are tough, they're brutal. Uh, and they to are. be in that pressure cooker and feel that where yeah. everyone's watching on Saturday night is something else as well. So it's like a childhood dream, you know? Well, I can tell you guys, I read it, listen to it. You guys were written about and you guys felt it. So we <laughs> yeah. all got that commonality dealing with this Toronto, the way the media is and the way the fans can be. So, well, Kobe, we want to uh, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been a great guest. Looks like you've done this before, I think. Like you didn't even coaching. You're you're not bad in front of that microphone. Maybe you should pursue this a little bit. <laughs> but any final thoughts before we let him go, Squid? No, I, I just uh, I enjoyed watching you play in Toronto and yep. and in uh, and, and Pittsburgh before that. Uh, but like I said, it, it it's a tough place to play, and if things don't go the way you want them to. It's a very difficult place to live and play, uh, the injuries and all that. And, and, you know, I think I felt bad that that happened to you because I think you could have probably been one of those guys that could have been a, a pretty important piece of the pie in Toronto during that time. Um, but you know, Hey, we all have to live through it. And, uh, yeah, you know, hey, you got through it. You're you're doing okay. Oh, yeah, you're, man. You're, uh, you got a Steelers hoodie on. You're you're, uh, <laughs> you're all you're all set. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I had. Uh, I can't complain about my career at all. Uh, I loved it. Uh, you know, I loved every experience. 
every place I played, I met tons of really great people doing this, um, talking and hanging out in this hockey world. You meet a lot of really great people and now post career being able to do what I'm doing and be around the game and be around good people. Uh, it just, you know, it keeps the game keeps giving me so many good things. So, um, yeah, thanks guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, awesome talking to you guys and let's go Steelers. I know, I don't know when you guys are going to drop this, but, uh, the playoffs, their playoff bound, I don't know how good they're going to do against KC, but, um, hopefully we can get fans back in the building in Canada and get NHL games played and everyone can stay safe and, uh, feel good. 2022. Yeah, I certainly hope, I certainly hope so Colby. And, uh, just want one, say one more thing about the hockey community, the people in, in, in hockey. Someone asked me a question. They said, how many people did you hate that you played with throughout <laughs> your career? Which I played for four teams. But I played with a lot of different players yeah. over 13 years. And I said, well, first of all, hate's a pretty strong word. And I, yeah. I can count on one hand how many people I maybe disagreed with on some things or yeah. didn't see eye to eye with. Other than that, I said, all the guys were fantastic. Hockey players yep. are great. No question. Mm -hmm. You know. No question. Yeah. There's I no agree. Question. Getting traded, walking into rooms, it's like uh, yeah. we all uh, we all have the same story almost. You know, so it's uh, all everyone's pretty accepting and uh, you know pretty incredible. So it's yeah, it was a heck of a ride, man. I love it. I love staying in touch with a lot of guys still, and uh, I get because I'm on TV now. I get text all the time that I'm looking fat and different things like that from the boys, which. <laughs> I love to hear from them when I'm on the air. It's awesome. It's so great. So it's, uh, yeah, I've had some great experiences, though, and met some great people. And thanks so much for having me on to talk about it. Hey, it's great to have you, Colby. Thanks so much for joining us, man. And no thanks, Colby. Okay, thanks.